0: Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 1. Romans, chapter 1, verse 1. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning. My pages, my notes are not blowing around today. And if you listen very very carefully... I don't hear any airplanes that are flying by in takeoff patterns. Let me let me thank you first and foremost for your faithfulness over these past several months as we've been outside. Special thank you to all those that would set up for worship and instruments and music and sound. Um, a new season. In many respects is upon us and i want to thank you for coming here today i understand at some level even being inside is a little bit of a challenge let me just assure you you've made the right decision it is important for the church to gather together such as this first and foremost before we launch into this new series i would ask that you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask for the lord's help as we listen and learn together Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful that we come to you today in prayer with gratitude for your grace and your love and your mercy, for the salvation that is offered to us. We thank you, Lord, for your presence that is noted. And here this morning, I pray now that we would we would feel and we would hear you as you lead us and guide us and speak to us. May it may there be no doubt as to what this morning is about. It's not about us, it's about you. All about you. I pray, Lord, that you would quiet hearts that need to be quieted from the busyness and hecticness. Would you come and bring a sense of peace for those whose hearts have been churning? May we be both soothed, but yet also, Lord, if, if needed, may we be shook up. So we, we leave this place in, in just a few moments, knowing that we've heard from you and that we have work to do to follow you in full, submissive obedience. Please help me, help me, help me. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Today we start a new study, a new series in the book of Romans. It's a book that is not really known for fluttery, kind of fluffy substance, but rather Romans is a book that is of weighty matters, of theology. And I want to tell you this morning that this this series is needed. It's necessary right now. Why? Because I believe we live in an era, in a day, in a time we have an opportunity like no other time to bring comfort and hope to troubled people We can point them to Jesus. Why is that needed? Because we live in a day today of constant confusion. Many, most people are being influenced by a cultural drift of of relativism. The abandoning of absolute truth. Believe whatever you want. It's, it's, It's our truth or my truth or your truth. It's not the truth any longer. Therefore, there's never been a more urgent time for us as a church to be clear and to be bold in our beliefs. I want you to note very carefully that what we believe at Big Woods Bible Church is not fluff and utter. What we believe is not cotton candy. Big Woods has never been, and Lord willing will never be a church where you come and you hear a, a verse that has been chopped up and taken out of context, you'll never come to this church and hear messages like seven secrets to successful living or three keys to happiness. You're never going to come here and hear a message like pumped up, amped up, ad nauseum. It's just, it's just not going to happen. That won't work. That cannot work. Last week, Wendy and I had the privilege of spending time with two of our grandchildren, ages two and four years old. They are at a fun age, but what's interesting at this age is that it's all about them. Is this going to be fun, and is this going to taste good? These kids literally, I, they, they eat like 27 meals a day. And at some point, somewhere along the line, someone introduced them to gummy worms, to Swedish fish, and sweet tarts. And so what has happened is that everything is surrounded. Hey, hey, you guys want to play a game with Pop Up and Mimi? Yeah. Do we get some candy after that? Do you wanna do you wanna fly a kite? With Papa, which was an absolute nightmare to tell you the truth. Yeah, we'd love to fly kites. Do we get some candy after that, Pop Pop? One particular time it was like, Papa, was that a Tic Tac that you just put in your mouth? Do you have any more Tic Tacs? Can I have the Tic Tacs? Can I have a Tic Tac? No, no, no. You cannot eat Pop Rocks for breakfast. You can't live on candy. It doesn't work like that. You cannot grow up on candy. Likewise, you cannot grow up. You cannot mature in your faith on a steady diet of listening to things like how to win at winning or how to discover your inner champion. No, no, never. We need, you need, and I need the milk And the meat of the Word of God I understand for some people it may be harder than others this is new for you for some people it may take longer and you may need to hear something more than once you may have to ask questions you may have to to stare for a while or ponder but every single one of us remember that moment Every single one of us, remember the time, the place, and the setting when the proverbial light bulb went on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're six years old or 86 years old. When it became to make sense to you, you get the right mathematical equation that comes to the right mathematical answer. And it begins to what? Make sense. I get it. I get the correct answer concept, the right work has brought the right results. The abstract has become concrete and the blur of the clouds has moved away to the clarity of sunshine. Oh, I get it. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. You know those moments, all of us remember them. We know as well that it's going to take time. It's going to take work. It's going to take some effort. And if anybody gets that, I, I get that. I was oftentimes the student who asked the question more than once. And in all honesty, asked probably dumb questions. I remember one particular professor who, who I was so thankful. He was just committed. He was not going to give up on me. I asked question after question, and, and I asked a dumb question, and he would, he would always say this, Timothy, 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 my son, how long have I been with you? And I'm grateful. I'm grateful and thankful for his patience with me, and we are going to need that with one another tell you how it's going to work. We're going to divide, obviously, there's 16 chapters in the book of Romans. We're going to deal with one chapter at a time. We're not going to cover one chapter today. We'll kind of have a theme overarching, at least each chapter, if not each section. Today is what I call Christ revealed, Christ rejected. We'll talk a little bit about the book of Romans and the author and recipients and setting and purpose. And we'll dive really just, just a couple verses into it today. Because our study in Romans no doubt has some heavy stuff. You'll read things like Christology and Ecclesiology and Eschatology, but it's not going to be exhaustive on any of those subjects. Instead, what I want it to do and what our goal is, is that you will have what? A better understanding about our triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A better understanding of scriptures and sin and salvation that would not only help firm up the foundations of your faith with important theological ramifications, but it will help you take in, live out, and speak up about the only message of hope that there is in a hurting world. My prayer has been, for this series and for this season, the year 2020, is that it will be a time that you look back And you'll say that's when the light bulb went on Romans chapter 1 we're going to pick it up in verse 1 we're going to read only down through verse 7 the words will be ahead of you in front of you on the screen Paul a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart The word of the Lord. Romans is a book of immense, it's almost immeasurable influence. Many years ago, there was a young man who had devoted his entire life to immorality. His father was a pagan, so it was no surprise that by the time he was 18 years old, he'd already moved in with his girlfriend and got her pregnant. He was living a life of debauchery and hanging with people he should not have been hanging with. Yet his mother was a, a, a devout, devoted, committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she continued to pray for her wayward, wandering son as he continued to boast about his exploits. One day, He was actually just walking, and and he was pacing back and forth in a garden. I think of a lion in a cage, just pacing. Something is unnatural about that. And as he was pacing back and forth in the garden, there was a hedge, and on the other side of the hedge was some grass, and children were playing, and they were singing a stanza from a song that they had known. The song was tole leggi, tole leggi, tole leggi. It, it's in Latin. And it literally means take up and read. And as this man was pacing back and forth, he noticed that in the garden there was a lectern. And chained to the lectern were the scriptures. That's that's how people could read the scriptures. They didn't all have a Bible in their hands like you and I do. Didn't have it on their phones. He would come to the scriptures that were covered and chained so they could read them. As he was pacing in his own unrest back and forth, and he heard this, take up and read, take up and read. Literally, he went to the scriptures that had fallen open to these words in the book of Romans. Listen carefully to the first thing that he read. You know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Later on, this young man wrote, these words, and I quote, it was at that moment from reading from Romans chapter 13 that the Spirit of God took those words and pierced between joint and sinew, bone and marrow, to the very depths of my soul. The young man's name was Aurelius Augustinius, or we would know him today as Saint Augustine, the doctor of grace. More than a thousand years later, there was a monk who was pursuing doctoral studies. And he was preparing to preach in the book of Romans when he found an ancient manuscript from Augustine himself and noted and worded in one of the side bars, one of the side lines. Augustine had penned this. When Paul speaks of the righteousness of God in Romans 1, is, it, is, is, is the righteousness not by which God himself is righteous? but the righteousness that he freely gives to those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. And for the first time, that man, that monk, we know him as Martin Luther, who had been literally haunted by trying to to hold and to work and to keep his own salvation, was thrust upon the truth that, what, justification is through faith alone. As we will later read in Romans chapter 1 verse 17 a theme that weaves its way all the way through this entire book the righteous the righteous shall live by faith Augustine obviously influenced Luther who lit the fires to the Protestant Re- Reformation and it just continued to sweep through whether or not it was Knox or Calvin or Vermigli or Zacharias or Sinaius or William Telamick or Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield or Charles Spurgeon, the list goes on and on and on and on that the book of Romans is often viewed as a foundation posting theological stanchions of orthodox biblical Christianity. Thus, it's important. I have to agree with many, many others who have written before me that God has richly blessed the lives of those who have dedicated themselves to the study of this book. Can I say that again? God has richly blessed the lives of those who have dedicated themselves to the study of this book. In more recent times, in the 20th century, there are other great minds who have written and researched and preached extensively. I think of right here in Pennsylvania, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who is the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for 33 years, who has written four volumes on the book of Romans that are on my shelf I think of James Montgomery Boyce, who also was the pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for 32 years, who has also written four volumes on the book of Romans. I like how Barnhouse describes this this famous epistle, Paul's letter here, as a jumping off point. A jumping off point for a detailed exposition of core biblical doctrines. Why is this so important for us? Why must we give attention to this because we live in a what it must be quick it must be easy it must be fun or I don't want it and you know what that mindset of the world has flowed into the church itself so much so that I believe that a sense of theological priority and proportion may be in danger of being lost. Since January, we have gone through the most challenging time. 2020 will stand alone. It is in this year alone that both Lifeway and Ligonier have combined efforts on producing a survey that they do every couple years. What is referred to as the state of theology. Not only do they question those in the world, but they examine the beliefs of evangelical Christians. Which are what? You and I, those who come to church every single week. And it is staggering to see the erosion that has taken place from 2014, 2016, 2018 to where things stand today at 2020. So much so that, listen to this, amongst evangelical Christians, 30%... Would believe that Jesus was just a good person, but not God himself 30% of people who attend Supposedly evangelical Christians would deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ 30% 46% of evangelical Christians believe that everyone sins a little but most people are good by nature 44 percent of evangelical christians do not believe that god chose who he would say before he created the world apparently just throw out ephesians chapter one just throw out romans chapter nine you you realize the condition of what is happening here 17 percent of evangelical christians believe that modern science actually disproves the bible science wins over an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present creator. 42% believe that, that God accepts the worship of all religions. It doesn't matter if it's Islam or Judaism, Hinduism, that, that God accepts it in that particular culture context. 22% of evangelical Christians believe that gender identity is a matter of choice. doesn't matter what you're born with. It's really what I want to be. This is in the church this isn't the world that's why we preach through the books like we do 58% 58 that's well over half believe that what worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church praise God that 58% doesn't exist here today praise God do you understand why as Boyce says, the epistle of Romans has the most complete diagnosis of the plague of man's sin and the most glorious setting forth of the simple remedy of justification by faith apart from the works of the law. Think, if, if we together gather at Big Woods, we are here for a purpose to impact the community in Lock Haven and surrounding communities, if we are going to get the right diagnosis, thus offer the right remedy, we've got to understand this. And this is not just what? This is not just head. This is heart. This speaks about balance with us. This is not just self. This is others. This is not just the church. It's the world around us. This is not just what? Getting a crutch for us to hold ourselves up, but what? This is about giving others a strengthening means to those who are limping and listing their way through life. We live in a hurting world, and the world needs hope, and we need to know. You need to know. What that hope is. Shirley Guthrie writes this true Christian spirituality cheerfully and confidently, I love this, plunges into the life of our dirty, sinful, and confused world. For there is where we meet the spirit of the triune God who is present and at work, not to save people from, but in, and for the sake of the world, the world that was and is and will be God's world. Therefore, it is most important for us to link exposition to what? To life application. That is our goal. Paul, a servant. You know, first thing, I I kind of back, I I want to, well, who's the person behind the pen here? And I want to kind of know a little bit. This is, this is like just churn a little bit. This is Paul. Wait a minute. Doesn't that rhyme with Saul? Isn't that the same guy? That's, that's the one. Paul who was Saul. Formerly, what? Jewish Pharisee. He was a scholar. I refer to him as a scholar thug. Thug. Because he describes himself, Paul describes himself in Galatians chapter 1 as one who was persecuting the church violently, and he tried to destroy it. This is not the guy that you see in a potato sack race at the Sunday school picnic. That's not him. Okay, that's not the Paul that we're talking about initially. And yet what's interesting, as much as he was the brilliance, he was the brain, he stood oftentimes behind the brawn. He let other guys actually do his dirty work. When Stephen was drug out of the city, whether or not it was the Sanhedrin who organized how they were throwing rocks at his head, or whether or not it was mob violence, people were still throwing rocks, crushing Stephen's head. And it's described as what? As they were throwing rocks, you gotta take your jacket off. And it says what? in Acts chapter 7, that they took off their coats and they laid them at the foot of Saul, who I have no doubt in my mind that at that moment he was smiling. His blood was gushing from our brother Stephen's head. That's, that's the Saul. That's the, that's, the, that's the one behind the pen here. He's the one, remember, in Acts chapter 9, who was en route to Damascus. And everything changes because there was that moment that he met Jesus. It didn't matter that he was riding what? Breathing threatenings and slaughter against the church. He met Jesus and was knocked from his horse. And in the brilliance of light of coming that close, he was literally blinded, led by the hand, like, like a puppy on a leash, reduced. It was Paul who spent time alone, being taught in the wilderness. It was Paul who then, what, began to pick up the pieces of his life, and he began to utter words. He began to preach. He began to gather others and disciple them, and he began to plant churches. He was a prolific author. He traveled much. He endured more hardships than you and I could ever imagine having been beaten and imprisoned and suffered and, and stoned and shipwrecked. And yet he was tenacious. He was gifted and most humble. He'd been humbled when he met Jesus. He's he's now writing this letter to believers, to brothers and sisters in Christ who are gathered in the church of Rome, in the city of Rome. He never met them before. He had heard about them, and he heard good news about them. The year is about 57 A.D. Paul is on his third missionary journeys. He's, he's kind of finished up much of his work in the western, excuse me, in the eastern portion of the Roman Empire. Now he wants to move west to Rome and, and onward. Eventually, he wanted to get to Spain, and he, he had found out that. That believe it or not, there were some squabbles in the Church of Rome. There were some some doctrinal distinctives between Jewish believers and, and Gentile believers. And everyone, what? In argument, always thinks they're right. And so Paul writes to address this. And we'll examine that. In doing that, he offers a robust expression of theology. Probably, arguably, here in this book more than any other book, any other letter that he writes. Just so the Romans understand, you and I need to understand... He introduces himself as Paul, a servant. The word is doulos, and we've heard of this before. It means servant or bondservant or even a slave of Jesus. Paul's saying it doesn't matter about his accomplishments. It doesn't matter how many churches he's planted. It doesn't matter how many letters he's written. It doesn't matter how many people he's led to the cross of Jesus. It doesn't matter how successful he is in ministry, how skilled his letters that he sees himself, he describes himself first as and foremost as one who simply serves and gives and lives for King Jesus. If you were to introduce yourself to someone else, how close to your name can you attach the word servants? We're a lot of other things. We're a lot of other things before we get to what? Tim, a servant. Paul, what, refers to himself as one who is called to be an apostle. It's a unique office of unique authority. It simply is, what, apostolos? It means one who has been sent. What's very interesting here in the early chapters of Acts, it describes how, as the church gathered, they, they had to elect a new apostle, if you remember. Judas didn't turn out real well. He's dead. He hung himself he betrayed jesus he was he was a wolf among sheep so they begin to to think about how, how does this happen how do they and matthias is 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 voted upon but later there's another apostle that is added to this mix and we know that in general when it comes to the office of an apostle there's criteria that needed to be met three criteria to be specific How does one become an apostle? First and foremost, they had to be, what, either a disciple with Jesus. That's one who is a learner or a follower or a student. Or or they had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. Or what, the third criteria was that they had to have been called directly and immediately by Jesus himself. Now think of it, of those three, following Jesus, a witness of the resurrection, or called directly, Paul flunks the first two he fails the first two when Jesus was teaching and when Jesus what rose from the dead Paul was with other guys beating up people in the back alley but in Acts chapter 9 we know that Paul met Jesus Paul was called directly and was given authority one who has called and been sent I don't know if you picked up or not, but as I was reading this text, and I was spending time with some other guys this past week in a couple different settings on this very verse. And later it says that, wait a minute, we too have received grace and apostleship. So we're like, wow, really? Wait wait, wait a minute here. Does that mean that we're exactly like Paul with that kind of position, that kind of authority? Absolutely not. The delight is, is that we too have been called by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. So we have, in a sense, work to do that's very similar to the, to the Apostle Paul's, but doesn't make us an apostle. appreciate the wisdom of Jay Gaunt this week at prayer time where he was saying, isn't it kind of like if somebody fell off a bike and they were hurt? He, th- in a sense, that if you went up to them and helped them, you gave them a bandage, and you, you, you guided them, and, and you soothed them, that you're, you're doctoring them back. But does that make you a doctor? No good picture we do the work doesn't make us one the office of an apostle was held by 13 only 13 if you ever hear someone and we will hear this bubble up surface up today this is apostle so-and-so no he is not no he is not beware of that third perhaps most importantly he was called with purpose what it says that Paul was set apart for the gospel of god set apart for the gospel of god set apart to share good news and it's good news that paul didn't come up with this this is not paul's gospel this is not my gospel this is not your gospel what god is the glorious author of this good news no one could come up with such an incredible plan and then in the verses the following he unfolds and unpackages what is this gospel what is this good news and includes really a, a very concise, you know that I love alliteration, that's where you remember things, and all, it all begins with the same letter, I love that, but in this particular list, real quickly before, I I cannot, I cannot claim this as my own, okay, Uh, in all honesty, I think this is alliteration, that maybe got a little out of hand, but the, the commentator, the author, was just on a roll here, I mean, Romans gets people excited, so there's a lot of Ps in this list, Thank you, Dr. MacArthur, for that. What does it include? What is this gospel? What is this good news? Number one, it's a promise that we know very clearly. He promised beforehand through his prophets in the the Holy Scriptures, which means this isn't like, well, the plan's not working. i got to come up with plan B here. No, this is not an accidental, kind of, sort of. Just happen, circumstance, a purposeful, providential, well-planned execution of God's perfect plan all the way through the Old Testament. We know that it involves a person, his son, a real person who is descended from David, the son of God. It says, according to the flesh, we can track his birth and his lineage, what, carefully back generations all the way to King David, all the way to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know that it provides what? In the gospel, it provides a provision. We have received, we have been granted, we have been given, we have been gifted, we have been what? Provided grace. Unmerited, unearned favor in the sight and presence of a holy God. I don't deserve any grace. Neither do you. But God has... What provided this? There's a proclamation that exists here. What? We have been called and sent to do something. We're to proclaim, to tell, to shout, to call people. To bring about what? In obedience of faith for the sake of his name, we live for his glory, his purpose. The purpose is what? That we go among all the nations. We don't just hug and hold it here like we like one another, so let's just stay right here. No, no, we go to all the nations. You have good news? What are you going to do with good news? You don't hold good news to yourself. You grab a megaphone and you say, guess what? Guess what I know? Guess what I heard? Guess what I learned? And Finally, it concludes in verse, what, six and seven, six and seven, that we belong to Jesus. We belong to, we are loved we are called to be His saints, set apart. And just just wrestle through that for a moment. That's back to what we taught the kids: of Do you realize who you are? As you've been created in the image of God and called and set apart, elect for His purpose, an amazing privilege. I understand. I understand. I've given a lot there, and that's a brief little list very quickly why this why now we have before us today an introduction a greeting from a man whom god himself says in second timothy chapter 3 what actually breathed into his head and into his heart exact words precise verbiage with powerful truth to teach us and to nourish us and to strengthen us and to build us up, to encourage us and edify us as part of the body of Christ so that we grow up big and strong for His glory and in His grace. What does that do for you? Like, What do you think about when you hear that? What does that do to you? Back to the little ones. Back to these two adorable, adorably selfish people. Two and four years old who want to begin every single day with Count Chocula. They want to bathe in blueberries and lucky charms. They don't know fully. They they do not understand that Daddy... And mommy have purchased for them and have provided for them and prepared for them a feast so that they will what? Grow up healthy and strong and nourished. Many of you this morning are not too far off from those two little ones. Many of you who sit here this morning are not that far off because you are feeding on 90-second sermon jams. You are feeding on pamphlets and brochures and two-minute TED Talks with weak or perhaps even worse, wrong theology. And as a result, the church of Jesus Christ is malnourished In their spiritual walk. Weak in their faith. You're hungry and you're longing for more. But you don't really know what it is. When your heavenly father. Has prepared a feast for you. He has prepared a feast for you. Through his word right here. What I want you to do. Is I want you to dig in. And just feed on it i want you to taste it i want you to savor it i want you to enjoy it i want you to offer it to others you didn't know that i was going to give you a homework assignment but here's your homework assignment romans chapter one the whole chapter families gather dads husbands shepherds and leaders of your home gather your family together around the table turn off the television slap the laptops closed and put the phones away we have a feast prepared before us gather this week and read romans chapter one and read it more than one time and may you be led hungry hungry to the word that god has before us father we love you i thank you for your word for us Bless us and guide us and teach us and lead us and feed us for your glory. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen.